You're listening to Tazzy Encounters on Faith FM and we're coming to you right around Australia from Hobart, Tasmania. I'm your host, Jason Cook, and today, Thursday, and every Thursday, we have Peter Watts in the studio and uh, he's continuing his series, Searching for Certainty. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. Good to have you here again. Now, Peter, today's topic is the mark of the beast. It's a, it's a popular... Uh, um, Controversial controversial and and uh, I think everybody wants to know about this stuff yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so it's uh, one of those things where yeah uh, you know the things things like Armageddon 666 mark of the beast those kinds of things people want to know about those uh, you know even if they're not religious people or, or yeah whatever, they're, so. they're big questions and uh, people want answers so um, just speaking of marks uh, Peter I'm just wondering have you ever had a tattoo I know some people think that the mark of the beast is a tattoo <laughs> have you ever had a tattoo well, done we're going to find out whether the mark of the beast is a tattoo or not in a moment but um, I have not actually when um, uh, I think we mentioned before in this series that I uh, I was raised in the UK I was an atheist from my teens through to my mid-twenties and uh you know, when my friends, I was very much a follower. I didn't really have my own identity. So when my friends dyed their hair, I dyed my hair. When my friends got piercings, I got a piercing. And I guess if they had got a tattoo back then, I would have a tattoo. But I I don't because they didn't, basically. I guess it wasn't as popular where we were from at that particular time. Um, it's interesting to know, I think one in four adult Australians have a tattoo. Mm. And of Seems them, to be becoming more popular. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about that. I, mm. I know that one in, I, it was on ABC Radio a few weeks, oh, a few months ago. Um, one in four Australians has a tattoo, and I think of those, one in four is trying to remove it. Wow. And so, <laughs> okay. so there's a big business. I saw a big um, ad on a bus uh, going by, I think it was in Queensland, that was talking about tattoo removal. Mm. And so, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to, to get it, and then for a week, you, you quite like it for a week, but do you like it in 10 years' time? Yeah. That's the question. Or in 50 years' time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I just want to remind our listeners, our our show number for Tassie Encounters is 0488-880-891. That's 0488-880-891. And, of course, this uh, topic is an interesting one. If you've got any questions or queries, you can text them in to that number and uh, we will answer them either um, in a future episode or via text. So, But do, do t- uh, text us in any questions or, or thoughts that you've got. Uh, Peter, last week's episode was titled The USA in Bible Prophecy. Do you want to recap that before we get into this? Yeah, just we were looking at uh, Revelation chapter 13. We noticed there that there are two major powers. The first one in the first 10 verses from Revelation 13, 1 to 10, you find the first uh, power, which represents um, Rome, essentially, um, medieval Rome. And then you've got a second beast arising uh, in the second half of the chapter from verse 11 all the way through to verse uh, 17, which is uh, a beast that comes out of the earth. And that's representative of another power, which is the United States of America. And uh, we we noticed that the mark of the beast is in association with that power. So this is why this is a natural uh, feed on from that. In fact, it comes up in uh, Revelation thirteen sixteen, which we're going to read in a moment. Mm. But I want to set up this topic of the mark of the beast by going to a um, 
a story right at the beginning of the Bible, unless and you've got something to ask. Just before we do that, I just re- will remind our listeners, you can catch up on the past episodes oh, yeah. on the Faith FM website. That's faithfm.com.au. You can go back and, and, and search for Tassie Encounters or find the uh, programs uh, for Tassie Encounters, and all of our past episodes are on there. So you can listen to those past episodes. We also have the Faith FM app that you can download if you've got a phone or a tablet and listen on there as well. So back to today's topic. No worries. Okay, so back to the Mark of the Beast. So uh, there's a story at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, that I think helps us to understand a little bit of what the Mark of the Beast issue is about. We mentioned before that in the book of Revelation, there are 404 verses, 270 of which are quotes or allusions to stories in the Old Testament. Therefore, uh, it's, it's drawing on Old Testament imagery uh, to try and tell us what will happen in the last days. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 4, we find Cain and Abel there, two of Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel, and they're both bringing an offering to the Lord. And it says that Abel brought of uh, the flock uh, a, a sheep. He'd sacrifice a sheep. Um, and uh, it talks about Cain brings of the the fruit of 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 the land the work the work of his hand uh, well the fruits of his labors shall we say mm. and so um fruit and vegetables and uh it's interesting that the bible says that god had respect for abel's offering but he didn't have respect for cain's offering clearly god had outlined to them what was required for worship and what what constituted uh, an acceptable sacrifice and so uh out of all of this uh, Cain got angry. He got angry with Abel. He kills Abel. And then the Bible says that God set a mark on Cain. Mm. So here we have an issue of worship. One is worshipping according to God's plan. The other is worshipping his own way. The one who is worshipping his own way is angered by the one who's doing the right thing and persecutes him, even to the point of killing him. And then a mark is set on Cain. So that's an interesting scenario and it really is, it tells us, it sets us up for the fact that this really is about worship. Mm. And that's important to understand because when we get to the book of Revelation uh, and when we look at some of the interesting ideas about what people think about the mark of the beast, we have to understand that this is about worship. If you look at Revelation 13 and 14, the word worship uh, occurs eight times in those two chapters alone. Um, because that's the central issue. So let's pick it up in Revelation 14, 19 and 10. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Revelation 14, 9 and 10. I'll get you to read this. This is quite a powerful and strong language, you know, strong language that God uses here. Okay. It says, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hands, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. There is perhaps no stronger language in Scripture than mm. we read here. And uh, we mentioned before that, uh, you know, when... Um, Maybe people have seen a fire danger warning sign, especially in summertime, and you've got sort of low and moderate and extreme and then catastrophic, right? And they recently added catastrophic after the uh, 2020 
2012, uh, I think it was 20, uh, 2009 bushfires that killed 171 people, I think it was, in, in Victoria. Um, but catastrophic is a strong word. Why would you use that word? Well, you would only use that word when the danger is the greatest. Mm. When the danger is the greatest, it calls forth for the strongest warning possible. And what you have here is the strongest warning possible because God is picturing this message at a time when the danger is the greatest. It's interesting, isn't it, how uh, worship is important to God. And uh, it takes me back to Monday week ago I did a program with uh, David Leo and it was about the... uh, money changes in the temple mm-hmm. and uh, where Jesus came in he turned and, over and he the turned table, over yeah. the ta- tables and and, and uh, you know scattered people everywhere told them to, to leave and that to me says that uh, and, and David was explaining how this was the process of worship you know mm-hmm. they had a process they would go they would get their animal and they'd go in and uh, these money changes and they were extorting people and basically preventing people from being able to worship mm-hmm. in the way God had asked them to you know, that made Jesus angry. Mm. And so it's really important to God. Obviously, this concept of worship is a very important concept. It's very important to God, and I think it's because he understands it's so important to us. Mm. We were made to worship. And if we don't worship God, we end up worshipping all manner of other things. Something else. And the Bible says that we're made in the image of God, Mm. and we are to worship him because he's our father, he's our creator. Mm. And when we worship something else... The reason this is important is it, it diminishes who we are in our sight. Mm. When we're worshipping God, we recognize who we are. We're made in the image of God. When we're worshipping something else, we become a smaller version of whatever it is God created us to be. Mm. And I think that's part of the point. Mm. So the question, of course, is what is the mark of the beast? There's a very strong uh, warning there in Revelation 14. Don't receive the mark of the beast why not what is the mark of the beast is it a barcode some people have asked is it a microchip you know some people are worried about uh, getting a mic you know you've got your, your, your cats and dogs their microchip to identify them is that what it's going to be is it a tattoo you mentioned before you were asking about tattoos is mm. it a tattoo on the forehead is somebody going to come along and tattoo 666 on your forehead we're going to talk about 666 later in the show uh, and the reason I want to talk about that is because there's a difference between the mark of the beast and the number of the beast. 666 is definitely the number of the beast. But uh, the mark of the beast, is it a tattoo? What is the mark of the beast? And, of course, the first question we want to ask in relation to this is who is the beast? Mm. You know, we can ask what is the mark of the beast, but the, the, the thing about the mark of the beast is it's the mark of the beast, In other words, if we don't know who the beast is, then we're going to get that wrong. And so we've already talked about, we mentioned before, Revelation chapter 13, the first 10 verses deal with who that first beast is. That's what it's talking about. It's that beast that we're talking about, and that represents the the uh, Roman power, the medieval church of Rome, um, and that's who the beast power is. So the, the mark of the beast comes from that power, and we're going to unpack that a little more after the break. Awesome. Well, we're going to go to this song and uh, we're talking about uh, that we were made in the image of God. And this song is actually called In the Image of God. And uh, this is by Sunset Worship. Beautiful and holy Good 
darkness falls away and night turns into day chaos into glory sing your mercy over me and whisper in my ear that I of God by Sunset Worship. You're listening to Sassy Encounters on Faith FM. We're talking with Peter Watts this morning with the topic of the mark of the beast. And we've been talking about a few things that uh, we, well, we, we said that the mark of the beast wasn't. Things like microchips, tattoos and other things. Um, I guess you've got some uh, way of working out that those aren't the mark of the beast. And, and I guess now we're going to get into, well, what is the mark of the beast? Yeah, sure. So um, first of all, I, we mentioned before we needed to know who the beast is. And we've already identified that as that first beast of Revelation 13, the medieval Roman church. And so um, when we understand that, we know that the mark comes from there. Now, what's also interesting is that a lot of people would think, okay, we want to avoid the mark of the beast, right? But there's also something in Revelation that you do want, and that is called the seal of God. Hmm. 
In the book of Revelation, everyone is either sealed or marked. And we often hear a lot about the mark of the beast. It's kind of like one of those things that if something's negative, we hear more about it than if something's positive, Mm. right? And so lots of people have heard of the mark of the beast, but few have heard about the seal of God. And so telling us when we we learn something about one, we can learn a little more about the other. So we're going to have a look at what is the seal of God. If we look at Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3, uh, I'd like you to read that, Jason. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. All right. Uh, What's interesting is the next passage says, and I heard the number of those that were sealed, 144,000. And uh, some people wonder, what are, who are the 144,000? Is it a literal number? Well, there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of symbolism in that particular chapter. Mm. Um, And so I believe the the number there is symbolic too. If you think about it, 12 is a symbolic number of the church. It's 12 times 12 times 1,000, a large group of people that represents God's people at the end of time they're sealed uh, by the seal of the living God and if you go to Revelation 14 verse 1 we see this 144,000 again and you can read that for us that I looked and behold a lamb standing on the Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads all right, so this is interesting. So here is that same group of people, the 144,000, only this time, instead of having the seal of God written in their forehead, they now have their father's name written in their forehead. So this has got something to do with them being, if you like, uh, uh, labelled by the Father as as his. As his, it's, yeah. it's about who do we belong to. And back in ancient times, I've been to uh, many of the museums of the world that have many of the um, artifacts from the ancient Middle East. So you can go to the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, you can go to the Louvre in Paris, you can go to the British Museum in London, and they've discovered and recovered many of the ancient seals that kings and other officials would use. And these seals were used to seal documents and other things, and they've, they've found many of these things. And these seals often have three elements in them they're they're pretty universal in terms of what they have they have a name a title and the territory Mm -hmm. so the name of the ruler the title of that ruler and the territory over which they uh, rule we still do this today i'm looking at the seal of canada right now and it says elizabeth ii queen of queen of canada so elizabeth's the name the title is queen and the territory is canada and what we find is those three elements are in one of God's Ten Commandments. It's actually in the Fourth Commandment. It says, for in six days the Lord, that's his name, that's Yahweh, mm-hmm. that's his name, made, that's who he is, he's the creator, he's the one who makes everything. He made the heavens and the earth, that's his territory, the sea and all that is in them. So he's the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. And uh, in a way, that that incorporates all the elements of that. So what's interesting, too, is in the fourth commandment of Exodus 20, you find the word Yahweh or the Lord three times in that commandment. It doesn't appear three times in any other commandment. And so we remember it's the the father's name that is in the forehead. Mm. And here we find the father's name, which is Yahweh. 
Interestingly enough, in Hebrews 8.10, talking about God's uh, law, it says, uh, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. This is another uh, description of the forehead. That's where the mind was behind the forehead. And so uh, this is where God is putting his law. That's where he's putting that commandment to remember the Sabbath. We also remember that the Sabbath was a sign between God and his people. We read about that um, in Ezekiel. We've talked about it before when we talked about uh, the Sabbath in a previous program. And it's really all about to whom do you belong? If you have the seal of God, you belong to God. If you have the mark of the beast, you belong to the beast. And so it's really about uh, loyalty. It's about um, identity. It's about to whom do we below belong. And Ezekiel tells us clearly that God gave us his Sabbaths to be a sign between him and us that we might know that he is the Lord who sanctifies us, sets us apart from the rest of the world. That's, a, that's Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 20, Ezekiel 20, verse 12. And we, we covered some of this when we talked about the Sabbath topic, um, the rest of the story. People can look that up in a previous episode. We, we went through a lot of uh, details in regards to that. So then we, um, we come to Revelation fourteen twelve, and this is the end of the three angels messages when at the beginning of the program you read um revelation 14 9 and 10 which was a warning a strong warning a strongly worded warning against worshiping the beast his image and receiving the mark of the beast mm. and straight after that you have revelation 14 12 which is all still part of that third angel's message and you can read this verse for us jason it says here is the patience of the saints here are those who keep the commandments of god and the faith of Jesus. So here's, here's two elements, two elements of God's people at the end of time. They keep the commandments of God, which would include the Sabbath, and they have the faith of Jesus. They're Christians, and they keep the commandments of God. And so the seal of God is intimately connected with uh, the Sabbath commandment because that's where we find the Lord's name three times. It's where... Um, we find that identifying characteristic where God says, I've given you the Sabbath as a sign between me and you that you are my people and that I am your God. So when we talk about what is the mark of the beast, again, who is the beast? Well, we've already said it's the Roman medieval religious power. And uh, we've said, well, what is Mark's, uh, sorry, what is Rome's mark of authority? What do they say? And so in the Catholic record of September 1, 1923, it says, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible. And this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. So they're claiming that Sunday is a mark of their authority because they're the ones who instituted that religious practice. Mm. Um, back in 1895, uh, Cardinal, uh, the, sorry, the, um, he was the Chancellor of Cardinal Gibbons. This is C.F. Thomas. He writes, of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act, and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical authority in religious things. So what we can say thus far in regards to the mark of the beast is it will be enforced Sunday observance. Now, 
what we want to say at this point is it's not enforced, right? I was going to ask that question because some people would say, well, hang on, I'm a Christian, but I go to church on Sunday, sure. so do I have the mark? Excellent question. Mm. Does anybody have the mark of the beast? Not at the moment because it's not enforced. Mm. And it's, uh, it's, it's enforced religious observance. You, anybody can read that from reading the text in Scripture. It's enforced religious observance. We can be more specific now and say it's enforced Sunday observance. And it's not enforced. We we believe in liberty of conscience, liberty of religion. Mm. So if a person wants to worship how they want to worship, that's up to them. We live in a free country, and I'm glad we do. Um, so you don't have to worship anything um, or anyone, or you can worship as you see fit, provided it doesn't um, contradict the laws of the land, or provided it doesn't impinge on somebody else's ability to worship. So we have that freedom. But that was not always the case, of course. Back in the Dark Ages, uh, the church dominated the landscape, and if you didn't believe what the church believed and you didn't practice what the church practiced, then you could find yourself in deep trouble and you could even find yourself uh, facing the death penalty. Um, that was the reality of life in the Dark Ages. And so the Bible predicts that that, that circumstance will occur again. And uh, we'll take a look at some statements when we come back. Hmm. Uh, we're going to have another break, and then we will talk about some statements that sort of back up this outrageous claim that Sunday observance or enforced Sunday observance is the mark of the beast. It is a big claim, and uh, so I guess we need to back it up. And so we'll, we'll do that after the break. Um, just remember, if you've got any questions on this topic, please text us in. We will either answer your questions by text or we might uh, answer those in a future program as well. Uh, also remember our free book offer today. We have a free book offer, Decoding the Mark of the Beast is the little book. It's just a, a small book that can help you understand this topic. Right now we're going to go and have a listen to this song by Chris Tomlin, Is He Worthy?
program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. Welcome back to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM and uh, we're speaking with Peter Watts today continuing his series Searching for Certainty and the topic of the day is the mark of the beast. Now we've just made some bold claims Peter and uh, we said we'd come with some evidence to back up those. We, we back it up. Well, actually, uh, in our previous segment, segment uh, yes, we made some bold claims, but um, so did the church itself. Mm. And so in some respects, um, they're, they're the ones backing it up. Yeah. So um, in uh, a, a book called the, An Abridgment of the Christian Doctrine, page 58, we read, um, How prove you that the church has power to command feasts and holy days? And the answer is by the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday, which Protestants allow of. Now, that would be most Protestants. Um, most churches still accept Sunday as a day of worship, even though its authority is only based on the Roman church. It doesn't come from Scripture. And in, in this statement, how prove you that the church that we're talking about? The, the Roman, Roman church, church. Yeah. yeah. So how prove you that the Roman church hath power to command feasts and holy days? And the answer is by the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday, which Protestants allow of and therefore fondly contradict themselves by keeping Sunday strictly and breaking most other feasts commanded by the same church. Mm. So in other words, you know, the Church of Rome has a whole calendar of dates uh, that are, you know, for for this uh, reason or other. And, um, you know, most people 
of other churches don't regard those other days but they do still keep Sunday holy even though the Bible doesn't have that um, is it's not a, a biblical command it uh, continues on it says have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals of precept and the answer is had she not such power she could not have substituted the observance of Sunday the first day of the week for the observance of Saturday the seventh day a change for which there is no scriptural authority so this is the point uh, we're making here this is not so much me making an outrageous claim that this is the mark of the beast and that the church changed today no they have they've explicitly said that they changed the day uh, and they believe they have the authority to do so i as a, a biblical christian would would uh, protest that fact and say no i believe that we don't have the right to tamper with the bible or with the law of god now these uh, statements are from sort of an abbreviated version of their Official doctrines, is it right? Yes, it's, yeah. well, these, these, these are sta- Roman Catholic statements. Yeah. So th- this is not uh, made up by, by Protestants. No. Um, in, a, uh, in a lecture at Hartford, Kansas, um, T. Enright uh, had made this uh, claim. He says, I've repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who can prove to me from the Bible alone that I'm bound to keep Sunday holy. There is no such law in the Bible. It is the law of the Holy Catholic Church alone. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Catholic Church says, no. By my divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you to keep holy the first day of the week. And lo, the entire civilized world bows down in irreverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. And so um, it's based on custom, tradition, and a command of the Roman Church is not based on Scripture. Mm. And we mentioned before in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, that the Bible itself says that a power would arise that shall intend to change times and laws. The Bible predicts that that will happen. Mm. And, uh, in, in fact, we have, have seen that. There's another, another element of the mark that I think we should address because in Revelation thirteen sixteen, it, it, there's something that it says that I think is interesting. It says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. All right, so this is where people get the idea that either you're going to get a microchip or a tattoo or something like that, that somebody's actually going to write on your forehead Mm -hmm. or on your hand. Is that actually what it's talking about? Well, we have a clue if we go back into the Old Testament. If we go back to Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 8, we have some interesting words that were given to Moses. So if you'd like to read that out. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That that just means it's going to be that it's going to be on your forehead essentially. Mm. Now, in regards to this, if you go to Israel today and you um, take a look at some of the orthodox jews or the ultra orthodox jews you will find them they took this literally Mm. and they actually got little portions of scripture they put them in little boxes and they strapped them to their hand and to their forehead 
So they would actually have these little boxes on their foreheads. I've got a picture of one right in front of me here. And, and I'm going to tell you that when I started this program, I had no idea what they were called. <laughs> and uh, it was Ryko Celic on his Wednesday program who educated me, and they're called phylacteries. That's correct. And now you can find that word in Matthew 23, verse 5. Jesus himself uses that word. He says, you make your phylacteries broad, but you don't care. You don't count. You don't account for the important things mm. in, in religious life. And so we find this idea of the right hand and the forehead in Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 8, Deuteronomy 11, 18, Exodus 13, 16. And as I said, there are Jews to this day which will strap scripture to their hand and to their forehead. But that's not what God meant. Mm. What God meant was, I want it in your mind, I want it in your beliefs, and I want it in your actions. That's what the right hand is talking about. In Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So this is about the actions. I might say to you, um, Jason, I've got a lot of work on on Sunday. Would you come around to my house and give me a hand? I don't really mean that you're going to lop it off and throw it at me. (laughs) Uh, I mean, can you give me some help? Mm. You know, you're going to do some physical activity. That's what it means. That would be a really bad dad joke. (laughs) That would be a bad dad joke. (laughs) If I brought my hand. So that's what it means in the right hand and in the forehead. It is in the beliefs and in the actions. It is very interesting because when we compared that with the seal of God, that was only in the forehead. Why is that? Is, is there no, are there no uh, actions of the Christian that are, are of any value? No, that's not what it's saying. It's just that when it comes to salvation, we are saved by faith. Mm. And that comes from the mind. That's really interesting, isn't it? That, we are uh, saved by faith, not works. There's, there's, no, there's no part of it that is uh, part of our... Exactly right. So, so that's why it's only in the forehead. It's the Father's name written into your forehead. Mm. You are... And it, it's part of our, our identity. We're made in the image of God. So therefore, we should have our Father's name mm. written into our beliefs. Into it. We have faith in him. Mm. And so that's why it's only in the forehead when it comes to the seal of God. The mark of the beast is in the right hand and the forehead. It is in the belief and in the actions. I want to read, uh, there's one more element I want to get into. Um, maybe we will do this, we'll do this now. Um, this is at the uh, verse 18 of Revelation 13. It says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, mistakenly, some people have thought this number 666 is the mark of the beast. I remember that uh, very clearly growing up in the 80s. Yep. And uh, I think it was about the time when the bank card first came out. And the bank card had a symbol, which was a rounded letter B. <laughs> and it was three lines drawn within each other. Uh-huh. The three uh, lines that uh, if you looked you know, slightly. If you squinted and yeah, tilted your head. it looked and like 666. <laughs> and so many thought, yeah, this is it. This is the mark yeah. of the beast, the bank card. So 666 is not the mark of the beast. It is the number of the beast. Mm. And we want to look at that. We'll t- take a look at that when we come back. Okay, let's do that. But right now we're going to listen to Meekness and Majesty. Remember the book offer for today, Decoding the Mark of the Beast by Steve Wahlberg. It's a small little book and uh, we'll give you the code after the break. Uh, Right now is Meekness and Majesty by Graham Kendrick.
perfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility, and washes our feet. Oh, what a mystery, meanness and majesty, bow down and worship. Tassie Encounters on Faith FM. Now, I did promise you that after the break we'd give you the code to our free book giveaway, Decoding the Mark of the Beast by Steve Wahlberg. And today's code is SEARCH and the number 26. So just text us in, SEARCH26, no spaces. Text that into 488 So that's SEARCH26 to 488 Peter, we've got seven and a half minutes, and there's lots of top, lots of material to, to right. cover still. Well, we were talking about the number 666, which we've said is not the mark of the beast, but it is the number of the beast. It's simply another identifying characteristic. We've already um, 
spent, we've already had a dozen um, identifying characteristics of who the beast is. So we know that. But it, the, the number 666, the Bible tells us in Revelation 13, is the number of the beast. It is the number of his name, significantly. And it is the number of a man. So we know those three things already. And because we know who the beast is already, the medieval Roman uh, church power, we can say that 666 is the number of the Roman church power because he's the beast, right? So it's the number of the beast. It says it's the number of a man. That would make sense because it would the most prominent man of that that medieval church, of course, was the, the leader of that church, which is the, the, the papacy, the papal power. And then it says the number of his name, which is interesting because one of the titles of the pope is Vicarious Filii Dei, which means Vicar of the Son of God. And uh, this is a name that has been used from about the 8th century onwards by the church for the leader of their church, the Pope. And uh, it says it's the number of his name. Well, if you take the Roman numerals out of Vicarious Filii Dei, guess what they add up to? They add up to 666. Now, you might think that that might just be coincidental, but uh, Father Edward Beck he used to be, uh, he's a Roman Catholic priest. He appeared on Fox News on a regular basis in the 2000s and uh, on, on a live Fox News program in 4th of November 2007. He said, if you take the Latin name that refers to all popes, Vicarious Filii Dei, which means Vicar of the Son of God, if you take the Roman numerals out of that, guess what they add up to? 666. So he identifies that this is the case. Now, of course, he doesn't think it should be applied that way, mm. but um, there is uh, plenty of evidence for us to understand that it's the number of the beast and the number of his name. But let's get back to this issue of the mark of the beast. We've said that it's enforced Sunday observance and that that is not taking place right now. But we can imagine that if Sunday observance was enforced, most people wouldn't have a problem with it. Most people would swallow it hook, line and sinker, mm. right? Because traditionally, through many centuries, people have had Sunday off, right? And it used to be the case that shops weren't open on Sunday. Exactly. And, yeah. There are still Sunday trading laws. There mm. are still different laws that govern trading on Sunday mm. than other days of the week. And so um, it would not be difficult to see how that could happen. And uh, in recent years, there have been uh, calls by the church for a renewed um, interest in Sunday. Uh, in fact, um, uh, the, uh, there was a um, news headline in the, the, the Sunday Times, the London newspaper, July 5th, 1998, Pope launches crusade to save Sunday, talking about the in importance of Sunday and even talking about Christians should ask for civil legislation to protect their duty to keep Sunday holy. And so that's interesting, talking about laws. Rachel Seward, who's a Green senator, um, back in 2005, she called on the Howard government to enshrine in law the sanctity of Sunday as a day for family life. Mm. And so here we're talking about legislation to enforce the keeping of Sunday. In the US, there's a Lord's Day Alliance, and uh, the uh, the... A preacher there or the minister there says Sunday is a mark, the headline is Sunday as a mark of Christian unity and so this is uh, not something that um, is uh, is you know sort of hidden away hidden away yeah it's, it's something everybody knows about and this yeah. is why it's so shocking when you find yeah. out this is the mark of the beast you think 
no, that can't be true. But mm. but it turns out that it is. Um, we've seen in the coronavirus, let's talk about current times. So in the coronavirus lockdowns, we've seen that nature bounces back. This was the Guardian headline. Nature bounces back, but for how long? And people have been suggesting that, you know, when we're in lockdown, the environment recovered. We've mm. been polluting the environment. We've been depleting the resources of Earth. The Earth had a rest. It had a break. It had an opportunity to recover. Maybe we should have a lockdown for the environment. Maybe we should have one every week. And people have been running with this idea. Um, this was interesting because this is a, um, a piece from the, the, the Washington Post, but it was written by a Jew. Hmm. And he says, when the calendar blurs, because you're talking about lockdown, when the calendar blurs and you don't remember which, don't day, which, is, day, it is, yeah. you know, which day it is, he says, when the calendar blurs, everyone needs Shabbat. Just ask the Pope. Hmm. Well, that's a very interesting thing for a Jew to say, wouldn't you think? And that's because Pope Francis um, came out with an encyclical uh, in 2015, I think it was, um, yes, it was in 2015 called Lidato C, uh, which means praise be you. And uh, it was about the environment. Um, and in that, uh, in an interview in 2018, referencing that document, what Pope Francis said was what the Jews followed and still observe was to consider the Sabbath as holy. On Saturday, you rest one day of the week. That's the least out of gratitude to worship God, to spend time with the family, to play, to do all of these things. We are not machines. Now, those words I agree with entirely. Right. Mm. Only what the problem with that, of course, is it's going to be an emphasis upon Sunday rest and not Sabbath rest. Um, way back in 2009, the Guardian uh, news service uh, put out this headline, Slow Sunday, the simple solution to global warming, talking about Sunday rest as an antidote to um, global warming. Um, there is a website called The Eco Preacher, where a Christian is saying when, uh, when Earth demands Sabbath, learning from the coronavirus pandemic. And when they're talking about Sabbath, they're talking about uh, setting aside Sunday as a day of rest for the earth. There are many of, uh, many of these that we could look at. Um, here's one that came from Fox News back in May 2021, and the, the headline was The Coming Climate Lockdowns. Uh, again, an emphasis on the idea that uh, if we would just give the, the earth a rest. And of course, in a couple of weeks, we've got the uh, Glasgow uh, Climate Summit uh, coming up just a couple of weeks away. And the World Council of Churches have put out a headline, Climate Sunday, an opportunity for churches to act for creation. Mm. The Climate Sunday initiative is inviting local churches across Great Britain, Ireland and across the world to hold a climate-focused uh, service on any Sunday before the United Nations Climate Change Conference uh, begins in Glasgow on October 31. So here is a growing number of churches calling for a resurgence of Sunday observance. Mm. So how would you sum up, Peter? Well, I would sum up, as I've said before, I think it's going to be enforced Sunday observance. We don't see that yet, but I think that that is coming. And the Bible certainly predicts that there will be a religious mandate on the table that will people will be caused to worship um, against the dictates of Scripture. 
uh, before the end of time. Mm. Okay. Wow, that's been a, a rapid um, uh, journey <laughs> and it's a big topic, so we do encourage you to text in your questions uh, or take advantage of the free book offer today, Decoding the Mark of the Beast, search number 26, text that in to 488 uh, Next week, Peter... What, uh, what have you got for we us We are next talking week? next week in search of the remnant. The Bible talks about uh, God has a remnant people in the end of uh, chapter 12, verse 17. We want to find out, is it possible to find God's end time remnant church? And of course, tomorrow you can join us with David Maxwell, the prophetic, the, sorry, the prophetic word is the topic for him tomorrow. So that's uh, the the wrap for our program today. We hope you've enjoyed uh, this topic. It's a challenging one, but uh, we also hope you can join us next week. We're going to go out now with We've Got This Hope by Ellie Holcomb. Oh, 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 we've got this hope oh, oh.